Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome to New Books in Christian Studies. I'm your host, Ryan Shelton, and today we're joined by Thomas O'Loughlin, Professor Emeritus of Historical Theology at University of Nottingham. Tom has written Eating Together, Becoming One, Taking Up Pope Francis's Call to Theologians, just published in 2019 by Liturgical Press Academic. Tom's book explores, based on the the 2015 suggestion by Pope Francis, whether normal Catholic practice should admit Christians from other churches to Eucharistic celebrations. It's a great, reflective, and practical book, and I'm so excited to have Tom joining us. Tom, thanks so much for being here. Ryan, it's lovely to be with you. Well, Tom, I'm so excited to get into this book with you, but before we do that, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, um... I know that I'm speaking to you and you're in Belfast. Well, I grew up uh, about 140 kilometers south of where you are now in Dublin. And my area of specialization in theology has always been the early and how the early church mutated into the medieval church. So that's been sort of been the academic bread and butter. But about 15 or 20 years ago, I realized that just chatting to ordinary Christians and the people whom I meet on a Sunday morning in church or Catholics, that I realized there was a, dream- a tremendous mismatch between what all Christians believe about the Eucharist and what the Catholic Church officially believes about the Eucharist and what you actually hear out there. And so it, it dawned to me, maybe. Maybe I should um, write a co- I thought very innocently, maybe I should just take a couple of technical pieces that I'd written on the Eucharist in the early church and the Eucharist in the medieval church and just sort of translate them into modern terms. Well, the thing is, it opened up a whole new sort of second career for me <laughs> where I had to sort of pretend I was a professional liturgist, which I'm not. And I would actually have to try and talk about what's happening in modern liturgy. So I'm sort of one of these people who have, I, I could almost set up two different bibliographies. There's the sort of the day job, which looks at, like, for instance, I published an article recently on, on, on why in the Gospel of Luke, as we read it, are there two cups at the Last Supper? And I was trying to show that that's actually the way the gospel evolved and became the standard text sometime in the late third century is actually a combination of two ancient liturgical practices. And so actually it's reflecting a sort of confusion in the third century. And then at the other end, I'm writing this stuff on, well, where are Christians going right now? So I'm trying to... In my own head, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to look back at early sources and early problems and see, is there any sort of mirroring with the sort of problems that are out there in, in, for actual brothers and sisters who are Christians today? Huh. That's wonderful, Tom. Well, your book, this, this new book, uh, Eating Together, Becoming One, you even in the subtitle indicate this is uh, taking up the call that Pope Francis 
offered. And and you note that in November 2015, when when Pope Francis suggested that theologians start looking into what intercommunion might look like, he he began to sketch some initial kind of theological trajectories. Uh, what what was his approach, and and how did you look to to take it up and and develop it further? Well, I was amazed. And I, 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 it was a Saturday evening, and I just had, I had found a copy of the tablet uh, where they had just said that he had said this the previous week or something. Wow, this is utterly amazing because we had got so used to thirty years of sort of ecumenical deep freeze from the Vatican during the pontificates of John Paul II and his successor Benedict the Sixteenth even any mention, it just led to freeze. So the first thing was, because there was an amazing, there was an amazing um, problem. And that is that whenever actually, during that 30 years, you spoke to Catholic theologians and you said, well, why, why are we not doing this? And say, well, I can't see any really good reasons, but there was almost like, a, it was almost like, a fright, a fearfulness, and I remember someone saying to me back in the, back in the, in the in the in the nineties. They said, "You know, you you go into this, you go into these sort of strange, awkward areas." And I thought they're not awkward. These are questions that people out there on the street are asking. Just because you find them awkward, mate, sitting in your study, in, in a Catholic institution. It doesn't mean they're awkward. They're real questions. So I'm simply delighted. And I sat down that night and I sketched out an article uh, which came out a couple of months later in, in, in a Dominican publication called New Blackfriars, where I said, look, we've got to start and take this seriously. You know, if, if the Pope says the deep freeze is over, then we've got to start coming out and saying things. And then I noticed that, um, well, uh, hey, the Pope has opened this up and he's used language like, well, maybe, maybe the Eucharist is food for a journey. Viaticum, he uses this technical phrase. Well, if it's food for a journey, journeys are always incomplete while you're on them. And that's opening up a different way of thinking of theology. And certainly the standard English approach, English language approach to this question had been set in the late 1990s by a book, by a, a document which was issued by the bishops of Ireland, England, Scotland and Wales called One Bread, One Body. And it was an amazing document because it had this, it didn't say this explicitly, but it's underlying the logical vision was we have all the answers we understand all the problems we and you know if there's any problem it's it's someone else it's it's the other that doesn't understand now that's not only theological mumbo jumbo because any christian who thinks that they have actually they have actually got all the answers they're on their way to to sort of millennialism you know that's a that's a that's a closed mindset and secondly uh 
thinking the problems are only the problems of the other is intellectually arrogant, but it's also dialogically stupid. <laughs> it shows a certain lack of awareness of how human beings think and relate. Like if you say, if I happen to like uh, like a particular type of chocolate and you say you you hate that chocolate, the there's a there's a nasty human instinct to double down and say anyone who doesn't like that chocolate doesn't know what good chocolate is, and that that sort of that that's that's actually a, that's actually a dangerous lack of theological awareness in a theologian, because it it supposes that theology isn't something we do in the whole community of the faithful, and it presupposes that theology is not something where. I'm actually trying to answer my questions and I'm, I'm talking to you because I reckon that in talking to you, I might move ahead with my questions and you might move ahead with your questions. Now, that's a, so one bread, one body is, to my mind, was a caricature of what good theology should be. Hmm. And I think it's an and I've said this to some bishops and they sort of, yeah, I said, I think you should be embarrassed to be associated with that document. Wow. But so, but the problem with that was that people hadn't actually thought through that there were umpteen good reasons for sharing the Christian meal with every other Christian who's willing to share with you. So the question is not whether I want, whether I think you should be let share or you should, or you say, should I be let share with you? Now the question is, hey, are we willing to share? Hmm. And if, if I'm, if I, there's good reasons why I should be open in my willingness to share. And then it becomes your problem if you're not willing to share with me. So, the, uh, so, so the, the the question then was, could you could you actually put all these reasons together in one book? And I thought, well, there's no need for that because you know that you could read the standard works and all of this. And then on Christmas Day, uh, twenty eighteen, I went into a church and I go into churches not just to worship, but then just. While I'm going in, I can feel my sort of observer. Mm -hmm. I take, take off, I want to take off my observer hat, but I can't. I can't. And then I hear some. I think, oh, I'm, I went into this church, and the guy was trying to be ultra nice to the fact that here was a Catholic church where he knew that his congregation. This is the only day of the year he was going to fill his church, right? Yeah, big old church. And he was convinced, you know, and he knew that there were loads of people there who hadn't been in church for a long time and maybe hadn't been in a Catholic church before because he was giving them extra helps. Uh, like this, now we'll all stand up. Now we'll all sit down. He was giving, and he was being very user-friendly. And I thought, yeah, this is good. And then at the very moment when he'd been talking about, you know, he'd even made a, a, a thing about how we gather as a family for Christmas meals. And that's probably why you're all here. And in fact, that was one of the reasons I was in that particular church because it was on the way to where I was going to have Christmas lunch. 
hey, he then suddenly said, but no, 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 no. Nice people eat, not nice people. You just get some, you just get second rate food. Mm. And it suddenly dawned to me, it, you actually have to write a book where you put together very, you, you, you show that there's no one, theology isn't, uh, you know, but, you know, there's one magic answer to any question. There are umpteen partial answers, but the partial answers tend towards a, a direction of travel. And so I knew as I was going on, as I was eating my Christmas lunch that day, you know, you know, all the things, what did you get in your cracker? Listening to the dreadful cracker jokes and all that. I was mentally beginning to put together the list of chapters. And that's what ended up as this book. Hmm. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go into all so much detail about how it arose, but it's, you know, theology is one of those things where it's, it's often, it's often an accidental moment that says this book has to be written. Absolutely. I'm so glad that you did share. Uh, it, 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 that is the way that we tend to approach our theological questions. Often it's because something provoked us. Well, you've been talking even just in, in what, you know, you've, you mentioned how this came out of a, a Christmas lunch and, and how even this priest was, was drawing connections with the way that we share meals together. This actually becomes now one of the primary pillars of your argument. You talk about the grammar of meals. You're doing a little bit of theological anthropology here. What do you mean by that? And how does that start to shed light on, on our Eucharistic practice and, and intercommunion? Well, the grammar of meals seems a very, seems, seems almost like a bit of a joke because for a lot of Western Christians, the Eucharist is about getting something or it's the place where you meet Jesus. And it's almost like, it's almost like a dial up, you know, you know, it's, it's almost like the way we've set up this, this conversation this morning, you know, I want to meet Jesus. So I go and I go to the Eucharist. But one can't ignore as, as, as a Christian the role of meals in the whole agenda of Jesus. And one of the reasons one can't sideline that is because of the role of meals within the history of Judaism. And one can't ignore as a human being the role of meals because meals are absolutely crucial. It's meals is it is in it is in a meal setting that we humans like to not only it's not only where we learn, but it's actually where we idealize our learning. And you say, oh well, okay, that's but also within Christian imagination going back, so we've talked about the historical thing of the meals of Jesus, the role of meals in Judaism, our human meals, but then within the Christian imagination, meals are, 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 are crucial as well, because the eschaton is the banquet. Yeah. So we're, we're remembering a meal, we're meal-eating animals, and we're thinking about a meal. You know, who will sit at your right and your left at the banquet of the kingdom? So every every meal is more than just um, you know we, we, you know that dreadful you are what you eat 
Well, we're a lot more than what we eat, and the way we eat says a lot more about, about who we are than what we eat. Hmm. Meals are not sort of biological filling stations. Meals are terribly important to us. And the COVID crisis has brought that out because we, we're, 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 we're longing to be able to go out and eat together in restaurants. We're anxious to just be able to drink together in pubs and yeah. to share meals. And we've suddenly discovered that it's the sharing of the meal, not actually having the, having the grub that is that is that is so so valuable and then so meal sharing is something that we do and i think it's part of the genius of jesus that he makes meal sharing the center of 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 the of the the community practice of his gathering of his community mm. and so it's memory the meal is the meal is who we are but the meal is full of memory and the meal is full of anticipation, the eschatological banquet. This meal is somehow a reminder that we're not facing the great exam. We're not facing, we're not facing some sort of uh, trial to destruction. We're we're facing being being brought into the great into the great banquet of the Father's kingdom. Yeah. So. The, eat, but the, the thing about eating is you can impose your own rules on a lot of things, but you can't impose rules on eating because we as human beings react in certain ways. No one is more hurt than they find out that they're not invited to the main meal at a wedding. They're only invited to the afters. Uh, if we if we could actually meet in a real room rather than on the on the web, we would invariably have begun this meeting with a cup of coffee, yeah. and we'd have ended it possibly with having lunch together. Now that's not just practical, and it and it it can it commercializes human relationships and you think, oh well that's just to be just to be nice it's because that's the way we establish relationships that's the way we establish thankfulness to one another that's the way we establish community so meal eating is not just a, a the tabula of a meal is not a tabula rasa it's written in our in our cultural stuff hmm. and so when hmm. we we it may be a in a lot of in a lot of christian churches the, the meal of the eucharist has become completely tokenized so you know in the catholic church you you get a, a tiny little bit of wafer uh and you know if you could actually if you could actually tell by tasting it what it's made of you know you'd be a real genius uh, and so it's all about it's all about intellectualizing this, but we mustn't intellectualize it. The the very fact that it is the form of a meal means that it's part of this larger human reality. We give thanks. We become Eucharistic when we eat together, and 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 so the rules that govern human eating cannot just be set aside 
at the meal of the Eucharist, because that would deny it being a real human event, and it would deny it being a real Christian event and a real incarnational event, and it would it would turn God, the creator of our humanity, into a different God to the God whom we worship as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and it would also suggest that, that, that there are sort of divisions in the creation between who I am when I meet you and who I am when I meet you as a brother Christian and in union with the Christ, praise the Father. So you have to take the grammar of meals. And it's a very simple way. You arrive at someone's, someone's meal unless they're absolute barbarians or really want to tell you how, how much they loathe you. They will squeeze you in. Yeah. I, you can't arrive at my door and say, well, look, I'm about to have dinner. You may look at me. You don't do that. You just don't do that. Or you don't say, uh, I'm having a cup of coffee. You know, here's my, here's my coffee cup, right? I'm having a cup of coffee, but I'm not going to share it with you. And by the way, I, the biscuits are for me. Now, by the way, there are places where this happens. Uh, you know, where you use food as a way of warfare, you actually, you actually say, only, only, um, like I, I, I once saw in a in a military place, only officers may eat biscuits. Hmm. I just thought, now why is that there? Is there a shortage of biscuits? Are they that expensive? No, it was a point. It was making a point. This is a two-tier universe of officers and others. Usually, in fact, usually we hide those. There's the place where the ordinary soldiers eat, there's the sergeant's mess, and there's the officer's mess. But once you're in each of those, you're in a community. But even there, they actually separate the eating rather than insult one another. And so if I'm, if I'm, if I'm eating, and another Christian comes in, it's not a neutral act to say you can't eat. The, 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 I must now take account of this. And so if you're in there on a Sunday on Christmas morning, if he's pre unless he puts a big sign on the door, only nice people can come in, and Christians have done that in the past, or only pure people can come in, or only Catholics can come in. And we've used all these sort of tools in the past. But if you actually say, well, we want to be as we want to be as welcoming as a community, because we want our community welcome to somehow uh, reflect the welcome of Jesus, then we actually have to share. Does that explain why the why the grammar of meals is is not a is not a is not a me it's not it's not in it's not just sort of hey, it's kind of nice to be kind of nice. It's actually quite a serious theological engagement because otherwise we would either separate God from his creation or we would put a barrier within the creation to our discussion with God. That's right, Tom. It does. It's very helpful. And in what I really appreciate it, in fact, my, one of my favorite quotes from your book ties this idea of the grammar of meals into what you see the, the role of the spirit in, in liturgy. So you write, 
this new story that starts with anthropology and ends with pneumatology, starts with hu- a human meal and ends with a sacramental meal, follows the sure dynamic of creation that grace builds upon nature. Could you talk a little bit about how you see the, the role of the spirit uh, empowering this human activity to, of, of eating a meal to, to unite brothers and sisters? And, and then uh, you take that to kind of a teleological anticipation of, of the Last Supper to the, the, the Last Last Supper um, as a way of tying this human activity in with with a liturgical spirit infused activity. It, one of the problems with the, the way particularly Western Christians have turned the Eucharist into a, into an area of warfare rather than something that unites them is that they focused, they've, they've got overly concerned with the role of the minister whether that person is called a priest or a pastor or just a liturgical leader, whatever. It's almost, it's almost like that it's, it's the work of this person. But of course, what, can, what, what takes me from being just a human being to being a child of God is, is, is the presence in the spirit. What converts a, a human search for wisdom into being a search that opens us up to the divine is the presence of the spirit. What converts a community into being a into being the family of brothers and sisters is the work of the spirit. And what what takes every meal into being somehow open to the divine is the work of the spirit within us. And when we gather them explicitly as the community of memory, so we say we're gathered here in the name of the Lord Jesus, we're gathered here through, by, through, with the Lord to offer praise to the Father. It's the Spirit who animates that and converts this from just being a human gathering into being the work of the body of Christ. So we, as the body of Christ, are now praising the Father, but we do that only because the Spirit is animating us and turning us. So that I can say to I can say to every other follower of Jesus at the Eucharist, you're not just another person who's decided this is the time you're going to worship on a Sunday morning or in Catholic parlance. Oh, this is the place where you're going to get Mass. Or this is the place where we're going to just go. I say, ah, you and I as brothers and sisters are now having a family meal. And we're brothers and sisters of the Christ because the spirit animates us. So I think one of the way, one of the, one of the, one of the healthy things that could happen all the Western churches would be a little less interest in theologies of ministry or priesthood or any of this and a lot more interest in the role of pneumatology, hmm. the role of the spirit. So let's let's do less ministerial theology and more pneumatology. Hmm. Tom, you you start to anticipate some objections, and, and you've talked, you've already touched on this just a little bit about the the sources of our theology, and this is one of the places that you kind of 
conclude some of your discussion um, in, in your book of anticipating some objections that people might have talking about uh, the, just the variety of, of options that are available in our theologies uh, around intercommunion. And, and you, you note a few possible ways forward, a few uh, suggestions for, for theologians to, to build some, some different categories into their, into their questions. Could, could you share a little about, about some of those directions? Uh, well, the, uh, the, the one that's usually put forward is the one that if we are all baptized, then we are all already within the family. Mm-hmm. But another way is to go towards the end and say, well, which group of Christians has got it all? And of course, the answer is none of them have got it all because um, we are all growing to understand more about what the Christian, what the call of God in Christ demands of us. So the thing is, let's start another. So instead instead of saying, well, we're all baptized. Yeah, that's one direction. Another thing is, well, we're all, all, well, let's all admit that we have to grow. And one of the ways you grow is you, you have to actually engage with the people who don't think the same as you. So I see one of the reasons for intercommunion is if, if you're eating with me and I'm eating with you, I'm discovering, oh, that's another way of looking at that. And you're discovering that. And you have to actually expand your understanding of the Christian thing to talk to me. And I have to understand my understanding of the Christian thing in talking to you. And if we actually have to do that over something that has been very arg- that has been actually a source of fight and bitterness, then actually the corresponding level of growth is much greater. So equally, um, we're, we, we live in a society that, that, that really sends out constant signals. We're just individuals, you know? Yeah. So, for instance, um, think of fast food. Fast food is, it's for you when you want it, as quick as you want it, and, you know, it's, you eat and discard. But actually, the, 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 the Christian vision is the very opposite of individualism. It's that I only become fully human insofar as I enter into community, communion, with all these other human beings. And the Christian vision of creation and the Christian vision of human growth is the opposite of fast food. It's actually learning to share and to take the time and to respect what we're doing. And so uh, eating together is, is a way of tackling some of the very deep problems that affects every Christian who lives in our society. And if we actually go down the fast food route of only I eat my Eucharist and you eat your Eucharist, and we do it in this sort of fast food way, then actually what looks like very solid theology in, the, in that document from 1998 
uh, one bread, one body, actually turns out not to be solid theology, but actually to be part of the problem. Mm. It's, 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 it's an individualist theology for a fast food uh, liturgy. And wow. so uh, there's all sorts of, there's all, if, I, if I actually have to learn to eat with someone who differs from me in the way they interpret what it is to be a follower of Jesus, and they have to eat with me, and we're willing to eat with one another, then we may actually start discovering that what we're fighting about are not the real problems. You know, are you a this or are you a that? Do you accept this or do you accept that? Um, there's something actually, there's something greater that we can each discover. Hmm. And we discover this in, in, in this meal, which sits in this tension between the banquet of Jesus and, 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 and the eschatological banquet. Hmm. Tom, I'm so grateful to have had this chance to talk about your book with you. Uh, you've been so generous with your time, and it's, it's been a true delight. Before we say goodbye, I wonder if you could share with us what you're working on at the moment. Well, I'm working, I'm working on a, a, on trying to, I've, this is Eating Together Becoming One was written to, 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 to try and, you know, answer that problem I discovered uh, on Christmas Day 2018. Uh, but five years ago, I wrote a book on the Eucharist and I was there trying to set out some basic ways of thinking about the Eucharist that get beyond the sort of transactionalism that bedeviled theology since the 13th century. So what I'm thinking, I'm working on now is how does one develop a whole understanding of Christianity as acting eucharistically. It's not about the Eucharist as a thing. It's about acting eucharistically. And a Jewish theologian about 200 years ago made a lovely statement. He said, the most essential part of our religion is to pay attention to the author of our existence. A Jewish theologian called David Levi. And that, that line has, has, keeps echoing in my head. How do I pay attention to the author of our existence? And if I'm paying attention to the author of our existence, I must act eucharistically. And then what's this eucharistic dimension? And if I pull it off, we'll meet again and we'll discuss that book. I would absolutely be delighted. Well, we've been talking with uh, Professor Tom O'Loughlin, author of Eating Together, Becoming One, Taking Up Pope Francis's Call to Theologians, available now from Liturgical Press Academic. Tom, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Ryan. And thank you for listening to New Books and Christian Studies. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And if you like this and you want to hear more, of course, you can always subscribe and rate and like and all of those things wherever you're accessing this episode. But I also encourage you to think is there one friend who might really enjoy this conversation that we've had with Tom? If so, send the episode to them. That's the best way to spread the word of what we're trying to do here. That's it for now. Thanks for listening, and I hope you have a great day.